This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Welcome to the show. I'm Cade Massey, professor of the practice here at the Wharton School, and I'm joined by Laszlo Bach. He's the head of people operations at Google, and importantly, he's the author of a brand new book, a book called Work Rules. We're here to talk with Laszlo about his new book. Welcome, Laszlo. Cade, it is fantastic to be here. Thank you. It's fantastic to have you here. I've chatted with you in various places around the U.S. anyway, but I've never chatted with you here on camera, and we want to hear about your thoughts on your new book. So the first question in my mind is, what does it say about Google? They allowed you uh, to write this book. I mean, most people, I think, would want to keep these secrets of how you guys operate um, to themselves, and yet they allowed you to write this book. What does it say about the firm? Yeah, well, it's, it's funny. We, we kind of had this epiphany, and I was thinking about this, and I realized work actually sucks for a lot of people a lot of the time. And, and at Google, it's actually pretty good most days. We still have bad days. I have bad days. But it's not miserable all the time. But for a lot of people, work's just a means to an end. And we spend more time working than we do anything else, more time than we do sleeping, more time than we do with our loved ones. And it didn't feel right that that we would be having something and figuring out how to do things and kind of other firms wouldn't be able to learn from and benefit from what we do. So we decided we're going to open source some of this stuff and share it with the world in the hopes that actually work gets better everywhere, not just at Google. Mm -hmm. Why does Google care about that, improving the state of the world uh, in terms of work? You guys are about organizing information. Why do you care about other people enjoying themselves at work? Well, for two reasons, and, it, and this is going to sound a little trite because every company's got a mission statement, but people at Google really attach to it. They really feel it. They, they believe in this idea of making information free and sharing things and transparency. And so reason one is we want to we wanna do that. We want to try that. The second is because what we found is rightly or wrongly, you know, when Google makes news, people pay attention. And so even if we're saying things that aren't rocket science, we did this thing called Project Oxygen, which actually had rocket science in it. It was fascinating about what makes managers work well. Okay. But it, it got a lot of coverage as soon as the New York Times picked it up and people paid attention. And we got all these stories about people treating their employees better. And we thought, you know what? Yes, we got to organize the world's information. That's important. But we should be doing the right thing in everything we do. And this is a way to share some of that. Mm -hmm. Well, can you tell us some of the main principles that you espouse in the book? If you were to say what the message is of this book, what would that be? I think, I think there's a few. One is that it's important to have meaning in your work. And there's fantastic work actually by one of your colleagues, Adam Grant, around the importance of mission and connecting your work to something meaningful. And what he's seen in his research, you get a 30% to sometimes 400% improvement in productivity by just making work meaningful. Amy Rosinski, a professor at Yale University, also a friend, similar work, she looked at people who were housekeepers, who were janitors in a hospital, and she found a third of folks, even in that kind of job, found meaning in their work and ways to make it matter. So number one is that. The second is taking power away from managers. Managers have all these incentives to control and manage, but as employees, we want to be free. And when we feel free, we do our best work. So I write a lot about how to take power away from managers. At Google, for example, managers can't hire. They can't choose who to promote. It's all done by committee. Mm -hmm. The third big thing is actually applying some data, some science, to making sure that the decisions we make when it comes to people are right. Because our intuition is is wrong most of the time. You actually can't trust your gut. Mm -hmm. You know, our computer scientists tell us you've got 11 million bits of information coming at you at any given time. If you mm -hmm. think about not just what you see, mm -hmm. what you hear, mm -hmm. you actually you feel your clothing on you, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You're tasting the inside of your mouth all your all the time. Your brain filters this out mm -hmm. and can only process about 40 
-hmm. of those 11 million bits. Mm -hmm. So we make bad decisions without mm -hmm. realizing it. Mm -hmm. So the rest of the book is about how do you apply science to actually make better decisions. And the idea is we'll take what we learned and, and the beautiful thing is it works for just about any company. Well, this is one question. A lot of people would, would, would say well, this is something that can happen in Silicon Valley or especially at Google, they have all these resources. Is it really applicable to my company, whether it's small guy or an industrial guy? Is it really applicable outside of your special setting? Yeah, so, so far it really seems to be. And what's amazing is we, we at Google have applied a lot of intellectual horsepower and analytics to prove this stuff works. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like a lot of good ideas, a lot of companies develop this stuff independently and have just been doing it. So mm -hmm. in the Northeast, you've got this grocery chain called Wegmans. Mm -hmm. And they treat people well. They open their books to people. They give people incredible freedom. There's this great story that Jack DePeters, their COO, told me. They had a baker who got a call and said, you know, I need a wedding cake this afternoon. Can you please help me? So the guy bakes a cake. And he, he picks it up and goes to deliver it. He shuts down the bakery for four or six hours to get this cake to a customer. Uh -huh. And when he comes back to the store, he's, he's not vilified for losing revenue. They say he's a hero mm -hmm. because he, he did the right thing. Mm -hmm. And then outside the U.S., there's this really cool company I stumbled across doing the research called Brandix, retail, or, uh, textile manufacturer. Mm -hmm. they, it, and you think about textile manufacturing in a developing country, you don't think great working conditions. Mm. But they have a largely female workforce. They teach them entre entrepreneurship because they actually want them to actually go and do other things afterwards. Mm -hmm. They give them money to buy wells and build wells in their home villages so people have clean water and so mm -hmm. they're viewed as heroes. Mm -hmm. And they do all these things and they're more profitable. They're viewed as a great company. They mm -hmm. have higher employee retention and higher mm -hmm. quality work product as a result. Mm -hmm. So all these things around what you do for people, lots of companies of different sizes have done it. And what they generally find is you actually end up with better economics rather than worse. So, Laszlo, if that's the case and it can, uh, it's more profitable and it works for grocers in Buffalo and textile manufacturers in India, why don't more people do it? Why don't more organizations do it? That's a great question. Um, I, think, I think the reason more organizations don't do this stuff is it's not always intuitive. And it actually cuts against all your incentives as a manager, as a leader. The reason you get promoted is because you've done good work, you've hit your goals, you've made good decisions. So you're in this job, and of course, you immediately want to make good decisions, hit your goals, move things forward. And you forget that when you're an employee, you want your manager helping and you know, giving you advice and then kind of getting, you, getting out of your way. Mm -hmm. As a manager, your whole mindset shifts. Your whole mindset shifts, and what you start doing is saying, like, "Well, I got to make sure everyone delivers. I got to mm -hmm. micromanage. I got to watch things." Mm -hmm. So it's not intuitive mm -hmm. as a manager to actually give people more freedom and back off. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things we've discovered that you have to limit the power of managers, mm -hmm. and then people actually perform way, way mm -hmm. better. So institutionally, you solve that as an organization by robbing your managers of power. And this is, I think, one of the most interesting, one of the most surprising aspects of the book. Um, I mean, we always need the story of transparency and illustrations of it. We've heard about empowerment and we've seen some illustrations of it, but you guys seem to take the empowerment thing a step further by explicitly, philosophically robbing managers of power. Yeah. You mentioned the term committee. Is that really an improvement on giving manager? I mean, in some sense, you're not empowering that manager. Yeah, so we, we actually make a lot of decisions by committee. So hiring, for example. You interview at Google, you'll meet your potential manager, your potential peers, potential subordinates. Everyone writes up feedback. Feedback goes to a hiring committee, and none of the people you met will be on that committee. Mm -hmm. And then that committee makes a recommendation, which goes to a more senior one and eventually to Larry Page, our CEO. And these committees are really important because they've just got one job. They, their job is to keep the quality bar incredibly high. And the reason you go to the separate group to review this stuff is because 
they don't have any other incentives other than keeping quality high. Mm -hmm. If I'm a manager, I want to fill my job and I want somebody who's going to do what, what they're told. And by the way, if I've got a customer who's got a nephew and the nephew needs a job, maybe I want to give that kid a job so that maybe I'll get a, sa a sale or some kind of deal later with this customer. Those are all bad incentives. Mm -hmm. The committee is all about quality and that's their only incentive. The mm -hmm. other thing is, once you remove sort of the individual, you know, oh, I interviewed this person, I like them, you know, mm -hmm. I like to sail, they like to sail, or I went to the same school, you know, we must be similar. Once you remove all that, you get less biased decisions. Mm -hmm. And what we find is we actually do better in terms of hiring in diversity because you remove all this bias that is introduced in the interview process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, another, another thing I hear that I've heard in other places, but again, you guys seem to take it further than most, is transparency. Mm -hmm. And this is a major theme in the book. And um, I'm curious, do you think there are necessary conditions before you can start being that transparent? Does transparency follow other conditions or does it lead? That's an interesting question. We, um, so Google had, we had an advantage. Our founders, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, believe from the beginning it was important to be transparent. So it's in our DNA. So mm -hmm. they started having employee all hands called TGIFs, you know, sort of once the company had 50 people, if, if you listen to Sergey. And, We've just always done it. We've always shared information. It's kind of part of who we are and what we do. If you don't have that kind of culture, I wouldn't start where we start, right? Like what we do today is every quarter, Eric Schmidt, our chairman, after the board meeting, he comes, to, does an, he comes and does an all hands for all our employees. Mm -hmm. And he tells you exactly what happened at the board meeting. He shares all the materials. That's a big step as a first step. So what I would do instead is build trust and I'd start sharing things you normally wouldn't share. So mm -hmm. for example, it might be as simple as the minutes from the meeting of the management team. Mm -hmm. It might be as simple as having people come and be note takers who are junior people who can kind of soak up how decisions are made. Mm -hmm. uh, it might be a product roadmap you don't normally uh, share with folks, or mm -hmm. it could be you know, some financials you don't normally share. But give people a little and allow that trust to build, and it'll mm -hmm. feel less scary. Mm -hmm. um, and you get to a point where people share a lot more. And the benefit of that is not just that people feel trusted, which is a positive because then they'll work harder for you. The other benefit is they'll know what's going on mm -hmm. and they'll make better decisions mm -hmm. and they'll create better products. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, something I've seen with you guys over the years and you talk about some of the book is how much research you do internally. And um, how, do you, how do you inculcate this sense of always uh, improving and building on what you've done? I've seen you guys take now two, three, four generations of research to continue to improve it. You don't treat these things as a one-off project. You don't have an outside consultant come in and do the same one time. You're, it's almost academic in the way it builds on previous work. How do you pull that off? Well, actually part of it is you, we lean on academics. So Prasad Sethi, who leads our analytics and compensation team, he often says, if you're a company, if you're a nonprofit, if you're the government, you should be spending more time with academics than you do with consultants. Because academics also have this long-term perspective. You know, they're, they're trying to make tenure, right? Mm -hmm. And so they want to show results over a long time. They're interested in the topic area. You can actually get some great results. So they actually, those kind of partnerships mm -hmm. actually encourage you to have a longer-term perspective. Mm -hmm. But the other piece is, I often talk with the team at Google about there's a difference between running a program and doing a stunt. A stunt is, mm -hmm. we're just one time going to try this and see mm -hmm. how it goes and on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. But you never actually know for sure what the benefit was of that program because there's always lots of other things. Mm -hmm. So you need to repeat things, you need to run experiments, mm -hmm. then you need to watch how they unfold over time to make mm -hmm. sure that what you did actually works. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great.
So we're about out of time. I'm curious, we've talked about some parts of your book. The book is rich. It's got tons of information, tons of detail, tons of interesting ideas. Is there anything in particular we've not talked about you want to make sure you share? Um, you know, I think the, the part of the book that kind of I had the most fun writing mm -hmm. was this chapter on nudges, and it's mm -hmm. called Nudge a Lot. Mm -hmm. And nudges are these things, uh, uh, two academics, Thaler and Sunstein, kind of came up with this idea, and they talked about a nudge is, is a, it's, a, it's a nudge, it's not a shove, it's not a push, it's not forcing someone. The idea is, what can you change in the environment around mm -hmm. somebody mm -hmm. to help them make a better decision without removing their options of making mm -hmm. choices? Mm -hmm. And it's a very cool area of research, and, and I'm glad you're asking because we haven't talked about it a lot, but the two of the coolest things in there, one is about actually weight loss, so we did this experiment where we, we put all, all the candy in our New York office in opaque containers. So we have micro kitchens everywhere, yeah. free food, healthy snacks, unhealthy. We put the candy in opaque containers. Um, and by making it a little harder to see and a little harder to get to, people shifted to healthier snacks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And over a three-week period, people consumed 7 million fewer calories, right? <laughs> Almost 1,000 pounds worth of calories uh -huh. fewer consumed. Uh -huh. And then you think about <clears throat> your home pantry and you open the pantry and what have you got right in front? You've got like the sugary cereals and the mm -hmm. snack food and the candy bars and all the healthy stuff is hard to get to. Like it's immediately applicable to home mm -hmm. and you know, you can actually make yourself healthier. Mm -hmm. There's another piece about um, the importance of savings. Mm -hmm. And in a way, it's kind of the dullest but also the most important idea in the book. Um, another researcher looked at um, how much wealth people accumulate over mm -hmm. a lifetime, and he found that he looked at the lowest decile, people who had $35,000 of Social Security reportable income over a 25-year period, which means all their other income were transfer payments, right? Mm -hmm. Social Security, Medicare, uh, Medi-Cal, food stamps, things like that. And within that cohort of people, $35,000 is all they earned. Some of them were able to save $150,000 over a 25-year period, mm -hmm. and the reason was if you set a baseline savings rate mm -hmm. and just keep saving at that rate, you accumulate a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And most of us don't. Most of us just live paycheck to paycheck or it's hard to save. But because of the power of compounding, if you in your 20s save 100 bucks a month, you can retire with 50 or 100 or $150,000 mm -hmm. more than if you didn't. Mm -hmm. And it's super boring because it's like, it's just talking about retirement, it's the future and there's this math yeah. and compounding. But <laughs> honestly, it has the potential to have the biggest impact mm -hmm. on somebody reading the book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Great. We thank you for being here. Um, good luck with the book. It's thank great you. work. We've been with Laszlo Bach, new book, Work Wolves. Hope you pick it up. Thank you, Laszlo. Pleasure. Thank you so much, Kate. Mm -hmm. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.